Well, commodity prices continue to be a concern, particularly gas prices in Europe. We saw massive increases yesterday. They've eased a bit, but not enough to lift questions over the cost of living this northern winter. So how is this reflecting the moves in markets today? Well, shares have been down, particularly in Europe. Bonds aren't budging, and the US dollar is gaining ground at the expense of the pound, the euro, the Aussie dollar, the Kiwi dollar, also not having a good time of it. So if you're looking for a safe haven right now, where is it exactly? That's a question for Gavin Friend this morning. It's the morning call from NAV for Tuesday, the 7th of October, 2021. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is up this morning. Maybe actually that is the only safe haven. It's up a third of 1% on the DXY against a 0.4% fall in the euro. The pound is down a third of 1%. The same for the Aussie dollar. The Aussie now below 72.7 US cents. US stocks were down, but they've turned around a, a bit. The S&P 500 was down half a percent. Now it's actually up a quarter percent. The Nasdaq is up almost 0.4%. The Dow had lost a quarter percent, but it's won all of that back. Big falls in Europe, though, where the DAX was down one and a half percent, the FTSE 100 losing 1.2 percent. Bond yields haven't moved much for now, but they were, of course, edging steadily up in September and the early part of this month. Uh, commodity prices easing off now. WTI is down two percent. Brent losing 1.8 percent. Gas prices have eased off too. But before that, some startling numbers to get your head around in Europe. Maybe we'll start there with Gavin Friend from NAB in London, uh, where uh, the futures for gas has got got over. Uh, £4 per therm Wednesday morning in the UK, which is an all-time high. To give it some context, middle of August, it was around £1. And uh, six months before that, half of that. And winter is just around the corner. Uh, so, I mean, that, that, that this is going to be a cause for inflation, presumably, and and also considerable hardship in, in, in Britain. And uh, it, it's a similar story, isn't it, in much of Europe as well? Uh, morning, Phil. Yeah, it, it is indeed. I, I would put both of these markets and UK pretty much together in this. Um, you know, the day, as you say, uh, is ending with US stocks actually back in the green. But we need to, it's been a roller coaster day. We'd need to describe it as risk off, you know, to your point that your, your European stocks end down the day. Energy prices, you know, clearly in the driving seat in Europe and the UK. And they are, you know, upending all markets basically at the moment. So to your point, um, you know, a 40% rise in European, UK nat gas prices on the day that gets reversed and some we come back down to uh, Tuesday's uh, levels we're still up uh, four times long-term average on both of them and levels we saw just earlier this year and they came down didn't they because Vladimir Putin basically said that he was going to uh, up production uh, they could he reckons they can get more capacity through to Europe uh, if they take it via Ukraine uh, the old pipeline that they were using there but I mean this just highlights doesn't it that the, the Europe is, is dependent on supplies from Russia and they have no reserves which is which is the the big problem indeed indeed so so there's a couple of points there one is that um, Europe as Putin has been saying has been shifting away from um, uh, safer long-term gas contracts to spot ones and of course when spot does what it's just done you, 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 you're facing into the eye of the dragon there aren't you so um, in the UK we don't have the capacity the European energy minister is today saying that Europe's rebuilding storage to about 75% in the UK we have four or five days <laughs> worth of spare capacity there wow. is no spare capacity the tanks aren't don't exist anymore so that explains doesn't it why energy prices are rising so much that's hitting share prices ordinarily you'd see bonds as the safe haven in times like this wouldn't you and that would push prices up and keep yields down but that's not happening because of inflation 
immigration concerns. So we get back uh, to that question I asked right at the beginning of the podcast, where is the safe haven? Uh, I'm not sure anyone knows the answer to that, do they? No, and they don't. And that's because you've got this mechanical effect to your point where break-evens, uh, break-even inflation rates in Europe and the UK are ramping up to multi-decade or multi-year highs so aggressively. That is pushing down uh, real yields because there's a demand for inflation-protected hedges. Um, and mechanically, it's pushing up nominal yields. So you're seeing you know, UK and German nominal yields spike into levels we've not seen in a number of months, even pulling up US yields uh, to you know, 255 earlier today, coming off that a bit now just because of this relief in energy prices, but it's, it, it may well be temporary. So, so to your point where you've got a situation where Ordinarily, this crunch on energy, which is which, if it continues, will be debilitating for growth in in Europe and for other areas, um, is seeing downward pressure on equities. Ought to be seeing some demand for treasuries, uh, the, the ultimate safe haven, but it isn't because mechanically it can't until we get a resolution. One issue we're looking at also is, of course, the U.S. debt ceiling. We know that there is going to be uh, a vote. Uh, possibly in the next few hours on this. Remember, the story here is the Democrat-controlled House has already passed the debt ceiling bill last week, but it's stalled in the Senate. We are all the while drifting towards Janet Yellen's uh, 18th of October deadline on this. It's Mm. just causing a little bit of nervousness, and I think perhaps uh, the edges, some support there also for for yields. Right. I mean, they can be more (laughs) concerned about that, can't they? Because they're less concerned about the fuel crisis uh, locally there. It's more of a Europe thing, because we had the EIA report for crude oil in the United States. Stocks actually increased by 2.3 million barrels last week. They were expected to fall by at least 400,000. So there's a demonstration of just how localised this is to Europe and the UK. Well, as I think we said before on this show, um, you know, east of the Rockies, there is no problem really with storage. I mean, we live in global markets, okay? So Henry Hub, one of the regional uh, nat gas uh, distribution centers, like others across the states, is reflecting what's going on. Prices there have more than doubled, but from a very low base. They're being dragged out by everything, by by what's going on in Europe and by what's going on in other energy markets. But there is is plenty plenty of storage. Yeah, and substitutes as well. I mean, that's the other thing, which is the the thing they're struggling with in Europe. Now, look, uh, let's go to New Zealand. They did lift interest rates, of course, the RBNZ yesterday, as expected, up 25 basis points. Uh, The impact was uh, the Kiwi dollar uh, down 0.7%. And perhaps not what was expected as a response to that. Well, uh, yeah, I think, you know, for the Kiwi dollar reaction, you've got to look at, you know, what we just talked about, uh, the risk off sentiment, which is boosting the dollar. You asked me, where is, is there a safe haven? And I would say that the dollar seems to be that thing at the moment. There was a little bit of a safe haven bid for the yen and the Swiss on Wednesday as well. Um, yeah, so, so for the RBNZ, you know, that's the, that's the first hike uh, in rates in seven years, taking the uh, the cash rate you know, up 25 basis points to 0.5, 0.5. The RBNZ gave a strong indication, we think, that the, it will continue to hike consistent uh, with its uh, August monetary policy statement, which pointed to a, a sort of a measured but sustained increase in rates to an average of about 2% by around Q3 2023. It said that the current COVID restrictions had not materially changed the medium-term outlook for inflation and employment, and capacity pressures pressures remained evident. Evident, um, and adding a, f- a further removal of policy stimulus 
um, is expected over time. Now, our BNZ colleagues uh, had wondered that you know, in that August monetary policy statement rate track, whether that was based on you know, the total elimination of COVID and, and a move to a sort of a level one status in New Zealand. But the RBNZ said uh, expects COVID to remain endemic, i.e. You know, within the community, within the population. Um, you know, uh, and that suggests that if COVID spreads further, which it, it may well do, uh, in New Zealand, we, we shouldn't expect the RBNZ to uh, to panic or pull back on the rate. Path. Right. So we've got them. We've got the the central bank in Poland uh, surprisingly lifted rates by forty basis points to half a percent. It's on its way to two percent next year, supposedly. So we've got more and more central banks starting to lift rates. I mean, can the RBA really sit, sit on its hands to twenty twenty four? Yes, it can. I, mean, I think you've got to you've got to distinguish what's going on in in, in some of these emerging countries. You know, we've got the dollar rising. Um, we've got uh, U.S. rates market rates going up um, and we've got an inflation impulse coming through. These central banks, some central banks in the emerging market complex are going to have to hike rates to protect their currencies. Otherwise, otherwise their currencies are going to fall. They're faced with higher energy costs as well. It's, it's not a good environment for them. They need to do this. Otherwise, they'll suck in more inflation via that currency depreciation. So I would, I would, I would put them into a separate corner rather than uh, what the RBA is doing. Right, but the RBA does have the problem of house prices. I mean, APRA has introduced tougher lending controls, but not as tough as expected. And, uh, you know, they haven't imposed a debt to income ratio for for example so is it you know they've done basically what's been tried elsewhere including in new zealand it's not not really worked too well uh, it's probably fair to say that the announcement uh, yesterday from apra was a little bit earlier in terms of the timing uh, than most has suspected but apra as you say it's increased the serviceability buffer used to test a borrower's capacity to repay a loan to 300 basis points over the loan rate from the previous 250 basis points. So it's a 50 basis points increase. APRA reckons it will, um, the move will reduce maximum borrowing capacity by about 5% uh, with only a fairly modest impact on housing credit growth. I mean, there, there will be a broader information paper coming out in a couple of months with some more details on this. APRA thinks that um, lending standards have generally remained sound but uh, points to medium-term risks to financial stability from highly indebted borrowers and the flow on impact uh, and the flow on um, impacts to consumption that could amplify, um, you know, any sort of in any kind of downturn. So it's doing this for the right reasons, um, and we stand ready to to hear or in that paper in a couple of months' time. Right. Now, look, very quickly, uh, it is, of course, non-farm payrolls. Tomorrow night, we had the ADP numbers, uh, which reported an extra 568,000 jobs in in uh, September, which was a lot better than than expected. Uh, we did see a bit of a response in the dollar to it, didn't we? And we get uh, a not a great one, though, uh, perhaps because, you know, we're, we're told these numbers aren't that reliable. But we also tonight as well get uh, the uh, the weekly uh, job claims numbers as, as well, which might give us a bit of a hint about tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, just as again, we always warn that the ADP, you know, the, 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 the methodology is it's got its own metrics, plus it also takes, you know, a good chunk from last month, the previous month's non-farm payroll. So it's not a good predictor, it doesn't have a good track record. But because last month's non-farm payroll was weak, remember, 235,000, that suggests that, um, you know, all else equal, um, ADP's internal modelling would have been an even stronger number today than we actually got. So, you know, there's that there's It was that weighed point, down by last month's non-farm payroll, so that might suggest yes. next month's, this the, the, month's the, the, non-farm yeah, payroll. It, would, would, be even, it yeah. would be even 
well, uh, it, it at least suggests that the ADP ordinarily will be higher on its own right than, mm. than the 568 that we got. Um, so remember, yeah, Jay Powell has basically said that, um, you know, for Friday in the non-farm payroll, we just need a reasonable number. What's a reasonable number? Is it is it 200, 250,000? I don't know. Is it, is it ag- against the, the sort of... Inf- <laughs> Why do we we have to speculate? Why didn't he just say, look, if it's this number, I'll be happy. Uh, Anyway, we've got to leave it there. We'll have to wait and see what happens tomorrow night. But good to talk anyway, Gavin. Cheers. Cheers, Phil. Have a good day. Thanks. Interesting times, aren't they? That's it for today on the Morning Call. Back again tomorrow morning. Dave DeGarish joining us from NAB in London then. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you tomorrow morning.